Welcome to the Agile Wire, where professional scrum trainers Jeff Boobles and Jeff Molesky discuss agile topics. Now, here are your hosts, Jeff Boobles and Jeff Molesky. And we're recording. All right, Mr. Boobles, kick us off, man. All right, so we got a joint episode of Drunk Agile and the Agile Wire for you today. So we got Daniel Vacanti, Pradeek Singh, and uh, the star of the show, Nisha, in the background over there. Uh, really lively today. And of course, get Jeff and myself. So I'm going to do something different and kick it back over to Jeff Molesky because he's got a really good question for these two. Yeah, so a um, little, little bit of a rehash here because we were just talking about it. But, but nonetheless, um, I, I want to come into this conversation with that the, the product owner, the product manager hat on because that, that's real life what, I, what I'm doing today. Um, and I'm, I'm, I, as Jeff Molesky, I'm bought into these flow metrics, but I'm, that's not my job today. I'm not there coaching, training the team. I'm not working on delivery. I'm working on establishing the roadmap, the vision, where we're going, what are the big things that we want to be tackling. And at the end, end of the day, I, why do I give a damn? Like, what are the things that you would be telling me that, hey, yep, maybe these are more for delivery type of metrics, but as a product owner, as a product manager, here's some of the things that maybe you want to be focusing on. Or is that just the wrong mindset altogether? And there is no breakdown between value-based metrics and delivery-based metrics. Patek, you go. <laughs> <laughs> well, over, over the past few years, as, and first of all, oh, thanks for having us over. So this, this should be fun. Uh, but over the past, past uh, few years, as Dan and I have been working through this stuff, we have discovered that actually this is more for product than even for engineering. The, these metrics are, are probably even more pertinent to the work that product does on a day-to-day -day basis than they are uh, to what engineering does on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, I'll start. I'll stop there and give Dan a chance to jump in. No, <laughs> not today. He was just, he was just getting the punchline. Uh, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Okay, um, I'm assuming. Let's 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 maybe get some assumptions out of the way up front. Jeff Molesky, Jeff M, Jeff B, Jeff, whatever. Um, are you as a product owner, product manager? Are you working toward? specific releases um are you uh, you know as part of your road mapping you know are there specific milestones that you're looking to hit etc 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 blah 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 whatever can you can you help us frame, frame the yeah. question a little bit better absolutely so for the the area the product the service however we want to articulate that um we think about it as customer servicing so um, I am overseeing like what is that customer interaction like when there is an issue that they're reaching out to us for. Um, in addition to that, thinking about holistically the, the customer pain points, not just when they're reaching out to us, but what is the root cause that actually caused them to reach out to us? We have this uh, principle, but any, any interaction with a customer um, is a deficiency in the product. They're, they should never need to reach out to us. And so that's kind of our vision moving forward, world-class customer service that no one needs to use, okay? If there's a need to use this service, we screwed up somewhere, okay? Um, so that's that's kind of holistically our vision for the area. We've got some metrics that we're looking at uh, specifically around that. So um, we, we think about it, the, the customer journey when they're reaching out to us. I promise I won't be too long winded with this. But like if you think about that holistically, we, we try and answer the question, did our customers have a good month? 
did our customers have a good week or something? And so we think about that first metric. Did they even need to reach out to us? And so we take a look at things like our, our total ticket volume, right? If, if we have a, a standard baseline for it, if it goes above that, well, that's a red flag to us because something happened that more customers than normal needed to reach out to us. When they reach out to us, how long do they have to wait? So we think about that uh, that uh, wait time from the point that they initiate a conversation to the point that we respond to them. Um, we think about the overall cycle time. So they great, they got a hold of us, but um, you know, one touch percentage, which is they we resolved the issue the first time, um, right when they contacted us, and then we think about more holistically the SLA around that, right? Like how long did it actually take us to solve that customer problem, and then at the tail end of that journey, what was the experience like for them holistically? So we're measuring customer satisfaction inside of there. So kind of starting with that vision that overall then breaking it down into the steps of engagement and the the uh the the kpis that fall into that and then from there we start thinking about great what are all these different deliverables that we can do that align up with each of these kpis or objectives that we want to be looking at so that's that's does that paint the right picture for you there it does but following on to that last point there then these deliverables that you're talking about do they get do they get shipped just in time? You know, do they package them up into releases? Um, yeah, so we, we try to be, let's just say, iterative with them. So we want to shy away from big batch, big bang deliveries, things that we've been working on for two, three, four months at a time, whatever it is. And so I, I can give you a quick example of that. Like one of the bigger features that we're looking to deliver is um, – so like right now we don't publish our phone number and there's no way to directly call us in the app. Like we don't think that's a great, that's not world-class customer service, right? So how do we get there? So one of the first things we do is one, we want to publish, we want a, a call to action to contact us, right? So that would be the first thing. Uh, the next thing is the ability to message us directly from that. The next thing on top of that is when they select to call us, we want to display the actual wait time right there. So they, they don't even have to call us to find out, oh, it's a 30 minute wait. I'm not going to call right now. And then the next feature on top of that is the ability to schedule a callback. Um, Put yourself in the queue. And then the next feature on top of that is the ability to actually schedule a time in sometime in the future when it fits your schedule. So like that holistically is the initiative, but we've broken it down into an iterative, hey, this is something quick we can get out there. This is providing value. And then there's something even better on top of it and something even better on top of it after that. Back to you, Pratik. I okay. did my job. Back to you. <laughs> yeah, Dan doesn't answer tough questions. Um, so a bunch of the metrics Jeff has just talked about, um, they are in the return on investment equation, they are return metrics. They are, uh, does call volume go down? They are verification of value metrics. Do, are we able to resolve problems quicker for customers? So for each, um, each of those, you kind of have multiple experiments you want to run with the investments with this, this feature we expect will take our call volume from 5,000 a week to 4,000 a week if we release this. And that, to, to me, how quickly you can run that experiment and see the change in that return metric is the key. We're making a, a, a hypothesis, an assumption that by releasing this thing, we'll reduce the call volume from 5,000 to 4,000. Now the flow metrics that we talk about Essentially, that's that's what they're measuring. Cycle time of that feature is trying to figure out how much investment are we making in this feature before we see the result of it, and can we verify that we we 
uh, got a good result. The reason you'll hear Dan and I harp on cycle time so much is because the faster we can run that experiment, the faster we see results or faster we find out was this a, an experiment just, just didn't work. So, and again, everything else is connected as we've talked about multiple times with Little's Law. The fewer things you work on, the faster you can run experiments and throughput lets you know how many experiments you can run. Dan? Yeah. I I would argue, and I have argued, and I would still I would continue to argue that the um, oh, and by the way, hi Jeff B, we'll let you into the conversation at some point. <laughs> I'll jump in next. As active as Bishop today. I would I would argue that the whole role of a, a product owner, project manager, is to is actually to manage risk. Well, I think most people think it's about managing product. I would argue it's it's honestly more about managing risk. Um, and so why you care, why you, you give a damn about these, these flow metrics is because they, in real time, give you um, an understanding of risk. So, you know, t- t- take the feature that you said, uh, contact chat on, you know, from the website. That's, that's not a story. That's probably a feature, right? There's, there's you know, several, several things going on there. Um, and you need to know at what point is, you know, at some point, Maybe this feature is going well, and you know we will be able to, to, to deliver it. Or you know, uh, maybe this feature is going off the rails and it's, it's taking too long, and we're starting to take on too risk because our inability to deliver on that feature uh, causes that chain reaction. Because you were talking about well, because on top of that we want to build this, and on top of that we want to build this, and and the sooner that you know that you have risk associated with any of those things, you as a product manager can spring into action um, and, and and start to start start to manage that risk and. Like I said, I would argue it's these flow metrics that give you that understanding of risk as quickly as possible. And then I would argue that you care about it because you want to know about predictability. One of your stances as a product owner is collaboration. And you need to collaborate with marketing and other people that, and figure out what's going to be released when. Like There are people that under, need to understand, like, hey, call volumes should go down in the next few months. How are we handling that from a staffing standpoint? And if you can say, I have some type of expectation that we're going to run these experiments and I start to see the trend of that happening, you can be much more proactive in letting other people know in your organization that this is probably going to happen. And you're running in smaller batches, so you're gonna start to see a trend of that happening as you run those experiments. So I think it gives you a lot more predictability along with reducing risk, like Daniel was saying. Yeah, so um, I mean, if I'm just gonna, gonna pile on because you're getting a whole bunch of free consulting here. Um, <laughs> Uh, you know, because, you know, part, part of this is, you know, about understanding the capacity of the team or teams, too, because, you know, we haven't talked about it. Is this one team? Is this multiple teams or whatever? You know, um, be, because if you have a whole, uh, and I'm going to say the B word and I'm going to regret saying the B word, but if you have a whole backlog, uh, maybe maybe a whole list of options of things that you want to work on, um, you know, being able to match, you know, capacity to that, that demand and from a predictability standpoint, I think is, is huge, too, because as a product owner, this is something that, and tying it back to what Pratik said at the beginning, uh, as a product owner, I really want to know, is, is the team, are, are, are the teams that are working with me, are they overburdening themselves? Are they taking on way too much stuff? You know, it's, you know, it shouldn't be this, okay, here's your prioritized list and you throw it over the wall and they just go and do it because left to their own devices, with all due respect to all teams out there left to their own devices, they'll, they'll probably make, make the wrong decisions again, from a risk from a risk perspective, they'll probably make the wrong decisions. And as a product owner, I'd, I'd want to know when they're working on three of my initiatives when they should only be working on one of them. 
I don't predict. How come, how come you hesitated there with uh, using the back backlog? <laughs> not a, not what, what's that? I'm, I'm not a, I'm not a fan of of of, of the word backlog. I'm not, just not a. Just not Why a, is, it, is it literally just <laughs> the backlog, or is it lists of work? Um, I, I think it's, it's it's more the term because I think. You know, when you say backlog, and by the way, I'm not. We're not talking about professional scrum. We're not talking about professional combat here. I'm just talking in general in practice. Sure. You know, b- backlog means you say backlog, and and what does a backlog mean? You'll get like to 50 different people, you get 50 different answers. Um, and I think I think it carries a lot of bad baggage with it. Mm. Um, gotcha. You know, if we're talking about professional scrum, I think that's a different story. But I don't know that we can necessarily assume facts not in evidence, right? In this for 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 this call. Um, I don't Pratik, you can. I don't know. Do you want to talk tell about that story about you know, teams you run into working working in features out of order, or whatever? I mean, that's oh that's yeah, not it's, a bad one, but I mean, it's 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 ridiculous at times looking in from the outside, but then the teams have their reasons for it. But you, the product owner, will give them a backlog. Here are here are ten things I want, and the teams kind of and, and even prioritize it, right? Even prioritize yep. it. So here are in order. This is, these are yeah. And teams do to various reasons, whether it's technology expertise, whether it's something looks more interesting, would work out of priority order because in their head, I got these 10 things, regardless of priority order, or 10 of these need to get done. So the order when they get this, the stuff doesn't matter to them. And very often, as we all know, new things come in, things or existing things get bigger, um, and all of a sudden, you have your priority number one and two at risk, while priority number eight, nine, and ten are already done. So that's 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 another reason why limiting whip helps you kind of focus on: Are we working on the right things? Are we getting things done? So, I, and I apologize, Jeff. Do you want to? Because I got one more question along this path, but keep going. I feel like our roles are reversed in this one too, because normally, like, you're the talker, and I just sit here and listen. And now I'm like, sit down, Boobles. I'll, I'll do. <laughs> um, so, all right. So again, like, we're, we'll play out this hypothetical scenario. You've won me over with these flow metrics and why I should be thinking about risk. Um, but, but again, value. Like, where where is the value metric that I should be looking at? Where is you, you know, okay, should I be looking at cost of delay? Should I be thinking about WizGIF when I'm ordering things? Do I, I don't know, make up some Molesky dollars and I assign Molesky dollars to everything on my backlog, right? Like what, help me out here, guys. What are your thoughts there? Uh, I'll uh, let Dan bro, jump in, but- I was gonna say, Molesky, we're gonna do rock, scissors, paper. Yeah. So this one. <laughs> but, but of all those options, Molesky dollars might be the best one. I love it, yeah, I, I love it. Where, where do I take the class? I love, uh, I don't know. Pre, pre, oh, okay, this goes to first, uh, the base assumption we're making is that a particular feature will deliver value, or we can know the value of a feature before it's out there. And that's kind of why earlier we were using the experiment language. Um, there's a hypothesis that this particular thing, when we release it, will take call volumes from 5,000 to 4,000. We don't know if that will happen. Uh, maybe this feature actually increases call volume because people are confused by it. Uh, so any um, 
assumption of value, we first need to understand that it is an assumption of value. Uh, and that's kind of why, again, we go towards the flow metrics and say, we can't control return, but we can control investment. Can we invest as little in this experiment as possible to find out if it's, if it's giving us return? Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, the, I mean, the short answer from a value perspective, flow metrics are, are not going to help you. For, I mean, if, if, all, if all you really care about is, is the value end of thing, um, but there's not much out there that, that will. We can, if you want, if you guys want to do the, the deep dive into cost of delay and wages shortage job first and all that, we can do that. I'm not sure you want that. I'm not sure your, your customers want it or your, your viewers or listeners or whatever want it, but we can do it. Um, but that, 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 that's the point. Usually... At its heart, value is usually a function of how long it's going to take you to get stuff done. That's that's what Pratik is talking about. Um, and so, you know, um, be, because we can't know when something is sitting in our, our backlog, I'll use the word, when something's sitting in our backlog, we can't know. We think we know, but we can't really know. Is that thing valuable or not, or how much value is it going to bring? So as Pratik was saying, that's why we should focus on, the, the better bet usually is to focus on Getting, if we believe this is a, a valid experiment to run, getting that thing done as quickly as possible and validating whether it, you know, it worked for us or not. That's that's um, that's generally probabilistically speaking, that's a much better strategy than trying to understand value up front. And I would say likely the exception to that is when there are hard costs associated with something with like yes. regulatory compliance or yes. those types of issues that come in. Yes, 100%. Yes, yes. If you, if you have that information, if you have that value information, by all means, please use it. Right. And I think that, that gets lost in our discussions a lot. Right. Yeah. If you have it's like, oh, yeah, the, the company's going to get fined a million dollars a day for every day that you don't have this requirement implemented by September 1st. Well, psh, okay, there you go. That's you you've got so much great information about value there. Use it, right? You know, right. but but if it is like Pratik was saying, well, we think we're going to get call volumes down by 20%. We don't know, right? At that point, it's it's just a guess and it's it's about validating that guess as quickly as possible. Yep, I, I love the way you say everything in your backlog is assumed value until you actually do it, and then you have a potential for re realized value. Now, if we think of like what you guys have talked about before on your podcast with like Annie Duke's thinking and bets, like there's higher probabilities than other ones. And as a product owner, I think a lot of times you're doing that in your head. Maybe you want to write that down. Maybe you don't. You know, it might be helpful to articulate that and say, well, I think there's an 80% chance that this reduces call volumes by 10% and this other one only has a 60% chance, but it has a much bigger upside. So maybe that goes second because I want to take the lower risk right now. Um, I want to take the more of the sure thing. And you're making that conscious decision, right? Um, also, you hit on another chord there. I'm just going to uh, switch topics a little bit. Um, I was just talking with Joe Justice at our meetup uh, earlier this week, and he was talking about at Tesla, they don't worry so much uh, about cost uh, in the dollar sense. They think about cost and time sense. They can get as much money as they want when they want to get money. Money is easy. Time is not. Time is something you will never get back. And so everything is about time. How do we reduce the time for learning? Ever reduce that time for feedback? And if you take that mindset as a product owner, I think you unlock a whole nother, like you're just going to make so many bets that eventually something should hit, you know? Um, and you're, at least you're going to figure out, I think, Pradeek, I've heard you say this too, or like at least you're going to figure out how wrong you are faster, right? And then you'll be able to figure out what to do next. Yeah, that's 
again, it's easy for Tesla to say it. I don't have to worry about money. <laughs> but, but at the same time, the mindset is absolutely correct. Uh, for most of us, time is money because for most software work, your major investment is in people's time. That, that's, what, that's where their major investment is. So time is money. And as quickly as we can find out that we were wrong about this or we were right about this, the better for us, for our future direction to find out what kind of pets. To, I, I love that you mentioned the L word, learning. Time to learning and time to feedback is probably more important of a concept to think about than time to value. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's great to hear that the Tesla's channel, channeling their their inner inner Deming. You know, Deming talked about that all all, all the time too. Uh, Don Reinertsen as well. You know, he you know in in his flow book, if you read his flow book, he always talks about um, the economic decisions you're making are about trade offs for time. That that's really what you're what you're what you're trading off. Um, people think you're trading off dollars, but you're not. You're trading off time. Right. And so, if you can make if you have to pay more for skills, knowledge, people that have that, I guess I'd rather do that than have coordination costs along the way. And so that things don't have to wait in a queue. Let's eliminate as po- many queues as possible as a product owner so that I can have people focused, delivering and run more experiments. Like that's what I, I want. Independent tracks of people that don't need other groups of people to, to build something, to uh, try to validate an experiment. I don't know, does that help Jeff? Like thinking about you, you're working with multiple teams, right? So like, how do I make them not dependent on each other? That's what I'd be thinking sure. about as a product owner. How do I get more flow through each of those systems? Yeah, so let me just be clear. Like, part <laughs> of this is hypothetical. Like, I'm already bought into this stuff, but... Uh, sure, yeah, I, hypothetical. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah right. Yeah. Sure, it's whatever. I'm holding this for a friend. <laughs> <laughs> so, but, but I do want to d- dig just a little bit deeper in here. Our, and I, I agree with everything that you're saying, and I really, because it, I, honestly, the, the, the whole... I always tell people, you get 24 hours in a day. What do you want your people spending their time on, right? What, what is going to produce the most value? That's just the way I, I kind of think about it. But I, I do personally struggle quite a bit with this because while I understand value is assumed until it's released and then we can actually validate whether or not it, it's, it truly is something of value, I do think there, I keep using the word value, but I do think there is value in trying to figure out what is valuable um now you you two did an awesome episode where you went way deep into like proving out why that statement is probably not accurate and why you can prove out in numbers that like hey if things are like size it you're gonna it's more probable that you will deliver more value by simply sequencing based on the smaller things and getting them out quicker um which i'll definitely link in the show notes because it was a fantastic conversation i still think about in the back of my head but i feel like one like why why have a product owner uh if if you don't have somebody who's really or a product manager or somebody who's thinking about that Uh, and maybe the answer is just because still holistically you need to think about a cohesive experience for the customer and how all of these different things fit together Um, and maybe that's a valid answer but you know is there anything from a value like true like hey we're going to try and determine the value of this stuff are there any mechanism techniques or anything along that line that you would recommend to somebody in that product manager product owner situation that isn't these flow metrics that we've been talking about uh, so i mean uh, uh speaking from experience and you know i mean obviously your mileage may vary but you know i built 
I, I, I built a product from scratch with, with my own money and nothing sobers you up in terms of your skills as a product owner um, until you do that, right? Because I thought, I'm like, oh, I got all this, all these great tools, I'm going to do all this stuff. And it seemed like every decision I made, I know it's going to shock everybody, but it seems like every decision I made was just wrong. Uh, you know, and it's like, oh, I'm I'm, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go listen to my customers. Well, uh, that honestly, that only gets you so far um, because and, and we have a we have another drunk agile episode about that um, in terms of, you know, because your customers will say things, God, you know what? If if your product only had this feature, I would buy it, right? Or um, your products will ask your your uh, customers will ask for a feature that they think they need it. But they don't need it at all. Let's uh, oh, let's let's exclude let's exclude weekends from cycle time, right? Th- 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 those types of things, you know. Um, and so that's why that's honestly what got me down the path of, of thinking that ultimately culminated in the in the presentation that, that Pratik and I did is it's like every time I and this is just me, right? So again, your mileage may vary, but every time I went down the path of trying to understand value up front, I ended up being wrong, and 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 not just a little bit wrong, but a lot wrong. Right? Um, and so in, in the end, the strategy that worked for me is as a product owner, I was literally guessing. I was like, oh, this, this seems about right. Let's, let's do this. And, oh, our customers seem to be happy with that. So, okay, I'm going to try this next thing. Oh, well, that, that didn't work. So let's try this next thing. I, I was honestly, I was guessing. I don't know if I should be admitting that on air, but that's what I did. But even if you're guessing, you're, you, were you validating them by looking at customer behaviors? Because that's what I would say is like, well, what they say and what they do are different things. I'd rather track a little bit more of what they do after the after I may have an hypothesis and I try something, you know? Yep. So, Pratik, what is the last column on a Kanban board? It's, uh, what did we call it over and over again? After shipped, it's validation. It's, it's uh, reviewing how customers are using it. So that, and I remember, Dan, you telling me about a Kanban board that goes in a circle. You ship... You review and you inform the next next uh, thing in your options column. That's so that yeah. Oh, sorry, particular one. I was gonna say that that just I remember I remember having this conversation with Dan a while ago, and I think one of the things we were talking about was this is how stock tickers end up on random websites because they don't have a product owner kind of directing them, and engineers like oh I can hook into that thing. It gives me real time information. Well, but your website is, you do email. Why is a stock ticker there? It's, that is really that strategic direction and what is the next good experiment to try, I think is where the product owner comes in. Yeah, so that, I mean, Jeff, I know we're not answering your question, Jeff Molesky, we're not answering your question at all. Um, but I liked, I liked how you framed it before, you know, to me, the product manager is more about, uh, about that vision, right? What is, what, what is that right vision for the, for the product? And, you know, are, are, are we doing what we can to, to steer toward what we think that, that vision is? Um, the rest is just, as you said, what would you, I think you said what operations or, or something like that. I, I forget. I thought there was a word that you used, um, there, but, uh, um, that's how I would think about it. Cool. I got a I got a question to pick with you. So there was one episode I was listening to of yours before, and I was like, "Yeah, I don't agree with that." And uh, just um, you, just well, I mean, I'll start with the first one. This is my, <laughs> I mean, there's there's others, but we'll start with this first one. Uh, you were talking about uh, retros and being like, "Oh, we can just do them whenever we want." 
I'm going to paraphrase. Whenever we want, we're going to have a policy like let's fill fill a list. And when the list gets to a certain point, we're going to have a retro. My problem with that is that what if that list never gets filled? I think that you also have to have some type of time box and saying, if we don't have a retro with an X number of time, then we're going to have one because there's something else going on here. If we don't think we need to continue to improve at some point, let's just say it gets to be six months, a year, then something's really wrong. Like we don't value that. That's, that's a problem. Uh, thoughts? Yes. Yeah, great. <laughs> okay. Well, that was too easy. Yeah. Uh, I, I actually have a, have a very have a related example with with a team I was recently working with, and as much as I hate it, uh, that they, they have this policy of refining tickets, uh, a, a dedicated hour and a half, two hours to refine all tickets coming up. Similar, I'm drawing the parallel between refinement and retro. And one of the suggestions I made was, why don't we refine the ticket when we pull it to, to work on? And team, to their credit, were like, that sounds great. Let's do that. So they've started doing that. But at the same time, they've left that hour and a half on the calendar every two weeks to be like, if we need this, if there was a ticket that we just couldn't get together on properly and was too big and we didn't understand, we have this standing meeting that... If we don't need it, we cancel it. But if we do, it's there, and and we take care of those those outlier things there. So yeah. I would say same thing applies. And I was going to say, Jeff, Jeff B, uh, I'd love to work with that team that the list never gets filled up because <laughs> <laughs> that that that's just never been my experience, right? I mean, it's like there's yeah. there's there's always uh, something. But as, but as soon as Dan shows up, there's at least Dan <laughs> on the list. <laughs> but 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 no. But I mean, but at the point the point is well taken. I mean, we sh- we shouldn't just go like you said six months and and never have a retrospective just because nobody put anything on on our list. That yeah that yeah. That, that's, I think as it as it gets longer and longer that you haven't done, it's easier to not do it. It's kind of like exercising yeah. and eating good, right? Like if you kind of get in a pattern of like I'm not going to exercise and I'm not, not going to eat good, then I'm not going to improve. I'm just going to kind of slowly deteriorate. That's what's going to happen to your team, right? You know, and it gets easier and easier to just say, yeah, let's just put that off and put that off and put that off. Yeah. And then you, you know, get worse and worse instead of better and better. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, I, absolutely. Yeah, we were, um, I think we were coming from it from the completely opposite side of, you know, it's like, usually you need to meet more frequently than two weeks. <laughs> sure. Know? Just because there's so many bad things, things happening. Um, but yeah. I actually wanted to, to dive in there because I, f- I find that really interesting critique. What you were talking about was really that just in time of whatever, right? In this in this instance, we're talking about refinement. So we're going to wait until it's really necessary to pull the ticket in, refine out that ticket, figure out what we're going to do, and then go about our business. Um, the question that I had around that, is there... Uh, and I don't think there's a silver bullet answer here. Maybe I'm already starting to go down the wrong path with the question, but I'm just trying to think like, is there a, a point of diminishing returns with that? So if the team is saying, hey, today we've got a refinement every two weeks um, and maybe that is or isn't suiting our goods, does it make more sense to maybe move a little bit closer to just in time where we're going to have a little bit of time dedicated every week or, you know, every day or whatever that happens to be? Uh, and, and part of the reason I'm asking is just, when we're thinking about, I hate saying in reality, but like 
I think when I say it, you'll understand what I mean, but like the whirlwind of day-to-day activity, right? Like, oh my God, now we got to put another meeting on the calendar or try to put one on it, which means we're putting it a week or two into the future. And, you know, just having that, like you were saying, it just, we can leave that meeting on the calendar and it's good. Um, but I, I personally like to do refinement more on a weekly basis so that every week, Tuesday, whatever it is, we know we're going to get together for an hour. We know we're going to talk through the next few tickets that are coming down. Uh, and, and to me, that's moving it closer to just in time, uh, but without having the, po- the the potential turbulence of, oh, okay, we're going to do just in time refinement of these tickets, but oh, Dan's out on, on Thursday. So we, we can't really do it at that time. So like, I, I just think there's probably some give and takes inside of there, but I, I do find that idea really interesting of, hey, what, what if you just moved refinement or whatever that activity happens to be closer to when the time you actually need to do it. Yeah, I think there's always a tension between cadence-driven stuff and just-in-time. I think there's always, but I, 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 I can speak for Dan here too, tend to fall more towards, let's do everything just-in-time. Uh, meanwhile, that might, that might be too upsetting for a team which is used to cadence-driven work. Um, what does happen when you do the just-in-time thing is you realize pretty quickly is we don't need all eight, ten people of the team to refine every ticket. It's usually instead of, um, and again, staying with refinement, instead of um, ten people getting together for two hours to do refinement, it's three people getting together for ten minutes per ticket doing the refinement in the just-in-time thing. Now, in the spirit of small experiments, absolutely, can we do it Can we do it less often, sorry, more often for less time uh, and, and still have it on a cadence? I think that's a good first step to move towards just-in-time. Yeah, I like to have teams do it, a combination of that, like a hybrid. So it's like quarantine, partners maybe go out, do some refinement, and then combine and have some kind of cadence where you get together and be like, this is what we've had, this is what we got to. Here's where we have questions. Anybody know how to answer these? Because that's the problem you have is, I don't know, if you're going to do it just in time, what if I need somebody from the business to answer a question and now I, they're on vacation for a week and now, oh, that gets moved down. And if we just would have talked about it a week earlier, we could have had that information and started the most valuable thing. Now we can't. So um, that's that. you just got to play those you know, pros and cons. So how can you do a little bit of, you know, get the best of both worlds? I also really like it because you're not watching one person type. Like, you know, like... That's the most wasteful thing I ever that I see in refinements. It's like we got ten people in a room, one person's typing, everybody else is almost you know, they're pretty much checked out. So like how do we divide and conquer and like get more done with, you know, less people? Uh, I don't know. Pratik will tell you. Pratik will tell you that I'm I'm awesome at pairing. I'm I am I am I am <laughs> Just... the world's best pairer. I I am so good at that. All, always the navigator, never the driver. <laughs> <laughs> And I do agree. I mean, in in a sense, there is there's there's something about timing. There's something about cadence. Again, that doesn't click as much in my head, but for a lot of people, I think cadence helps them. Mm -hmm. Do you think, out of curiosity, do you think that's uh, a symptom? Uh, Maybe symptom is it? So uh, Jeff and I come from Scrum. Daniel and Pratik, I think you come more from from Kanban. I think that'd be a safe assumption. Do you think that's just a symptom of what we've like grown up with or what we've become familiar with could be 
Okay, just yeah, curious. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think what what, what you used to. I mean, yeah, yeah. Uh, um, I, I mean, I wonder because the uh, the the Scrum Guide it was it was either the last one or or the, or the one before. Um, I remember it. I think in several spots it had the word uh, had the words at least. And I always wanted to write this blog post that the two most important words in the Scrum Guide are at least. Um, because like a retrospective, you should have a retrospective at least once, once a sprint, right? You know, you know, a, you know a, a done increment. You should have a done increment at least once a sprint. And, and, you know, make it clear for teams that, you know, while it's good for you to be doing it to kind of the, from the cadence perspective, be doing it at least once every 30 days or less or so. Um, there should be you should be highly incentivized to actually be doing it much much more frequently than that. So, um, so yeah, I think it is a function of, of what, what we're comfortable with. Um, but um, I'm, I'm hoping I'm hoping this cross pollination of ideas will will help. Um, yeah, oftentimes the question I get from a client is like, I think we should change our cadence, our sprint cadence, to something longer or shorter. It could be either one. And really, what it is is they just need two plannings inside of one sprint, or they just need more retros, or they just need less, they want one review every two weeks, so they want to go to a two-week sprint. It's like, well, okay, let's do two-week sprints, but let's still do two plannings, two retros, two refinements, right? Like, we still want to do the more frequent uh, planning that just-in-time stuff. So, I, I, yeah, I guess nudge out there to everybody else, like, you don't have to just do one of every event if you're doing Scrum, do multiple. That's that's usually a, a good way to get to that just-in-time way of doing things like you're talking about. And then before you know it, you don't even know the difference between doing Scrum and Kanban. You're just kind of doing both, you know? That's, that's, it was that's... interesting that you threw it out there. Um, and we don't need to go too deep into it, but w one of the observations I was just thinking about was even for, for me, and part of this is just the way I've always done it, is refinements is a cadence. And just like planning, review, retro, like those are very much cadence driven. But it, 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 if, if we were to geek out and pull open the scrum guide, there is nothing about a cadence inside of there. In fact, it says nothing about how you do refinement. It just says what you're supposed to be doing in, inside of refinement. So if you want to do it just in time with every ticket, fantastic that you are totally not breaking any rules of scrum. Um, if you like having a cadence where you're just doing it once a sprint or whatever that happens to be fantastic, you are once again, not breaking any rules of scrum. And Again, just to geek out here, like that's part of the awesomeness of Scrum is it's not prescriptive with the way that it is telling you how you need to do these things. It's just letting you know you should do these things because it's going to provide some type of value to overall your workflow process system, whatever it happens to be. Yeah, and, and putting a, to me, putting a more lean lens on activities like planning and refinement, you kind of get to how many people are wasting their time sitting here when we could be moving things forward. Because uh, many a time, and those are the kind of meetings where they're, as, as, as Jeff, you were saying earlier, one person's typing, everyone else is watching. How can we get this to the point where we're talking about the exact thing and the exact people who need to be involved in this are here. Everyone else is moving other stuff forward. That's or, or, or in addition to that, how many things are we refining that we end up never working on? Um, yeah. Because we thought, yeah. you know, during refinement, we thought we were going to do this, but then, but then something changed, uh, you know, so. Uh, And how many things do we move in our backlog that are never done too? Like you make me think of that. Like so many backlogs are just monstrous and they're just never going to get those things done. So I don't know. I'm all in favor of just deleting stuff if it's been a long period of time since you've 
It's been on there. I, it's like, I, I was come just back. moving into this area, and I finally got buy-in to burn with fire shit that was over <laughs> two years old. Okay. I'm like, guys, guys, we're never doing this stuff. It's been around for two years. You think magically it's just going to pop open or pop up in our backlog? No, no, no. Now, and also, by the way, you got to like, sometimes people just don't, don't think about this, but like that is inventory just sitting around in your system. Like we're paying a cost to that, right? Um, whether it's the, yes, it's, it's fractions of a cent to host a server with these items inside of it. And maybe we just, we're going to pay for that all, all together, but who, whose inventory costs are we paying to actually go in and move all this stupid shit around on a backlog that we're never going to do mind you, but we still got to prioritize it. And somebody has got to remember, Oh, what is this thing? Right? Because documentation becomes stale regardless of the form in which you're, you're capturing it in. So somebody has got to go in there and update it. And then, Oh, when it does become stale, now we got to go in and have a contact with somebody else and make sure it's updated. And it's like, guys, just just wait. If, if you're not going to get to it in the next two months, maybe even three months tops, like why even bother? Just just make it a big line item on your backlog or whatever your list of work happens to be. When it gets a little higher, awesome. Then let's go in and add some more detail. But you, sorry, this is just my rant. <laughs> Times. Well, too many times we look at these backlogs that have just grown to monsters over the course of whatever the time frame happens to be, and it's always the same line. Oh, but we might need it one day. No, yeah. you don't. You're never going to fucking need it. Yeah. Just get rid of it. Yeah. I, I might, I would, my, oh, sorry. Pretty good. No, I was going to say, I would, I would love for if, if the Scrum Guide has to include one more ceremony, it would be like a, like a purge ceremony where you bring tickets. <laughs> or code that doesn't get exercised at all, or tests that don't do anything, except just are always green or always red, you bring something to that and you just delete it and we all take a drink after that. <laughs> my, um, just, just so you know, Jeff M, uh, my, personal, my personal best so far, my record, in all the years I've been doing this, um, I came across a company that had an item on their backlog that had been on there for 12 years. 12 years! And I, I told them this. I was like, I was, I was actually impressed by that. I was like, think about the effort that, or, or not effort, that it has to take to have, to have an item stay on your backlog for 12 years. I was like, that was, that was just impressive to me. All right. So at this time, uh, Daniel, Pratik, anything you want to plug to our listeners? Pro Kanban. Pro Kanban. <laughs> yeah. Go, go to, go to ProKanban.org. Check out, check out stuff there. It'll, uh, it's, there's a lot of good information on there. Um, Dan? Yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah. If you want to, if you want to learn about kind of, kind of flow in its more pure form, whatever that means, um, yeah, ProCombine.org definitely. If you're interested in the intersection of Scrum and Kanban, then check out the, the PSK offering with, with Scrum.org. I'm sure both Jeffs, have, I hope, I hope both Jeffs have talked about that many, many times on this program before. We've got to go check the archives. Um, and then, of course, Drunk Agile, right? Yep. If, you're, if you're interested in just, uh, you know, having a whiskey and sitting around talking about this kind of stuff, please join uh, us. We usually, we usually, and Nisha, <laughs> heavy night for her. Um, we usually have, have one of those uh, going out, you know, once a week or so. So talk about just in time. Our Drunk Agile is definitely, just bar- in time. it's barely in time is, is what our Drunk Agile episodes are, but yeah. So, yeah, no, th- thanks for the, I want to echo what Pratik said earlier. Just thanks for the opportunity for being here. We, this was a lot of fun. Whether, like I said, whether the audience likes it or not, I really, doesn't really matter to me. We had fun. We had fun so, <laughs> so that's all that matters. Awesome. Thank you for listening to the Agile Wire. 
We are consistently inspecting and adapting ourselves. We would appreciate feedback at feedback at theagilewire.com or on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play Store. See you next time.